I'm Mario Munoz reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service. On November 3rd, Texas District 35 Representative Oscar Longoria spoke at the Harlingen Chamber of Commerce about the 88th legislative session. Representative Longoria's talk also included a question and answer session after the talk. So, uh, my name is Oscar Longoria, and I actually had the honor and privilege of representing House District 35 for the last decade. Uh, Multi-county, uh, for those of you that don't know, I run from Western Hidalgo County all the way to Eastern Cameron County. So, I run from Sullivan City all the way to Brownsville. So, some of the communities that I represent, uh, currently as it stands, uh, Sullivan City, La Jolla, Peñitas, Alton, North Mission, North McAllen, North Wessico, North Mercedes, Monte Alto, Ed Couch, uh, Santa Rosa, La Feria, I've, and Harlingen. I've picked up Donna, Santa Maria, Blue Town, Los Indios, Olmito, San Benito, Brownsville, and Primera. I had combs, but now I run outside of combs. So uh, it remains to be seen what's going to happen this legislative session. Sometimes we go back the last time we did, and we did redistricting was my first session. We'll go back and they kind of tweak the line. So who knows what the district looks like, but I think it's going to kind of look similar to what it looks like right now. So run from Sullivan City to Brownsville. And you know the issues are very different uh, from di every different community. But a lot of the smaller communities have the same issues you know, that, that, that affect them. And I think it's really good to anchor yourselves with a city like Harlingen uh, that's kind of worked the process in the system and working this, you know, greater chamber mentality, I think will pay immense dividends. Uh, because when they come and talk to us, when Javier calls me at one o'clock in the morning that he needs a favor, he needs us to look at something, it's not just for the city of Harlingen, it's for all the surrounding areas. So currently, you know, I'm in a race, so God willing, Tuesday I, I continue to be the rep. Uh, but things look good. But regardless, next legislative session is going to be incredibly important for Texas and especially uh, for South Texas. Some of the issues that I think are going to be percolating and coming up down the pipeline, I think it's important for folks to know. And if you guys want to ask me questions afterwards, I'm, I'm more than welcome to. Uh, property tax reform. Um, I think everyone understands that it's, it's an issue. You know, we've done caps. We're trying to provide homeowners relief. Uh, unfortunately, what, what we've had an issue with is we basically buy down and we're kind of offering a coupon to decrease the amount that individuals are playing. And the aggregate, they're huge amounts, billions of dollars that we're saving homeowners, but some homeowners don't see it because the amounts may be small in comparison to what they're paying in property taxes. Uh, the governor's mentioned that that's something that he wants to undertake. Uh, I think it's something that we're going to tackle. The question is, how do you approach that? How do you decrease property tax rates and at the same time maintain a way where the appraisal districts just don't increase property tax values? And then ultimately understand that, okay, if we decrease the rates, what's going to happen to that lack of funding, right? And if we just go in and we buy that to give the relief, then what happens when we don't have the funding to, to continue to do that? So I think next legislative session, there'll be money, so we can do stuff like that. But it's really thinking about long-term approaches on providing homeowners some type of tax relief, but at the same time understanding, you know, what are going to be the cons to it? What are going to be the implications for the cities? What are going to be the implications going forward? Uh, you know, there's been rumblings where we went ahead and said, you know, you couldn't increase your rate by a certain amount without going to the voter. Uh, or do you extend that and do other entities that were kind of carved out before do they come in that's where you community colleges and stuff like that is that going to be brought in that's something that's going to it's going to be an issue um, health care is always a concern 
you know, over the past couple sessions, we haven't expanded Medicaid, uh, but we've been kind of savvy in working these 1115 waivers and trying to figure out a way to bring down those uh, dollars back to Texans. Uh, it's kind of an ongoing battle. Uh, I don't know what that looks like. Unfortunately, the way things stand right now, the uh, current administration hasn't really been uh, so willing to work with us on those 1115 waivers, and they're kind of extended at the last minute. So there's got to be something that we have to figure out to kind of work outside of the box because at the end of the day, it's, it's all our tax dollars go to the federal government and we really should get that money back one way or the other. Uh, unfortunately, it becomes kind of a political issue where folks don't like what is categorized, what you can, what you can't do. But at the end of the day, it's, it's our hard-earned money. And I'm like, hey, let's bring it back to Texas versus giving it to another state. So that's going to be something important. Uh, school safety, um, that's going to be a big issue you know, with what happened in Uvalde. Uh, I anticipate, you know, hardening schools. What does that look like? More funding for schools, try to make them safer, some type of maybe school marshal program, which currently exists, but I don't think there's adequate funding for it. So we're really probably going to look at things on what we can do to make schools safer. So that's going to be something incredibly important. Uh, the electric grid, that'll be a big issue, of course. Uh, we saw what happened with Winnesburg Murray and, you know, a lot of individuals across Texas losing their power. Try to figure out a way to uh, weatherize those systems, but understanding that Texas is an incredibly difficult state to weatherize because you, know, you can be on one part of the state and it can be incredibly cold, and you can be in the other part of the state and incredibly hot and humid. A lot of those systems, especially uh, several years ago when they were weatherized, were weatherized with the intent of hurricanes uh, and incredible heat. And it's very difficult when you weatherize something anticipating wind or you know heat. And then you get a storm like that storm where things freeze and it's just not set up adequately for that. So figuring out a way to kind of work with that system and then figure out a way to think outside of the box. Um, other than that, those are kind of just some of the big, some of the bigger issues. Of course, uh, there'll always be local issues, and that's what it's important for individuals that are in this room to gather together and come to us as members and tell us what's important, what can get done at the local level. Uh, you know, you have your statewide legislation, which has an impact on everyone, and that system is set up in a way to make sure we vet it, we look at it, and understand what the repercussions are gonna be. Sometimes we'll pass something and then we go back next session, have to undo it or change it because we had unforeseen consequences. So that's what we'll work on, but at the end of the day, the most important things are the local bills, the local bills that we work on for communities of South Texas and things that we can do to codify stuff that's going on right now or change things to kind of make them beneficial. So I just kind of give you a little glimpse of, of what it is. Uh, session is, is right upon us. We'll start first week of first week of January. Uh, bills will be filed in the next few weeks and then things will kind of start getting up and running. You know, we usually meet from January to probably the first week of June. Uh, first couple weeks of session are very uh, informal. You know, we still don't we still don't start meeting. But uh, I think that's important for individuals like all the elected here and all the folks that care in the community to go up to Austin and work those chamber days and come meet with us members and, and the senators and the staffs and tell us what's important to you. Uh, unfortunately, last legislative session was a very different session than I had ever experienced because of the pandemic. Things weren't working the way they usually did. A lot of stuff was still done virtually, but we didn't have those city and chamber days and those are incredibly important because uh, what will happen is you can come and sell us on an idea where we're going to support the area and do whatever we can, but many times we can say, hey, you know what, you probably need to go speak to this member. Uh, maybe they have an issue that's very similar in their area to kind of explain what's going on so that we can kind of all work together and spread the message. So I think that's important, but uh, I'd like to open it up for questions if anyone has any questions or on anything. Questions? Someone, don't be shy. Yes, sir. Great to have you here. Appreciate it.
I know how important it is. We have a reserve that's uh, 30, what is it, 27 million? Billion, yes. Yes. And I know how important those main issues we talked about. South Texas and Cameron County, just here I'm talking because I come from the ancestry here. We have our infrastructure is in dire need of help. And what I found as an economist is that when our entities apply for grants in our region, in our little metro area, 81,000 people in four cities, water, sewer, drainage, they are, the demographics are all used separately. I believe that we need to do a special provision on the different programs you have federal programs coming to the federal government and one coming in the infrastructure uh, grant coming that that you do a special provision for this area where we can share those demographics and bring a higher amount of grants versus 100% loan at interest. We don't have those economics. We're a meager small metro area. So we need to really sit down and give you those initiatives that we know about. That Alan at the district does and these other gentlemen at the we have a lot of districts, lots of special districts. Put those ideas in one. Because as you spoke, we are a region, but we're not treated such. I agree with you completely. So as the provisions on the federal infrastructure stuff Unfortunately, I have little say, right? But there is provisions and there is initiatives at the state level, right? And that's incredibly important to kind of work on a regional approach. You know, we've been working on this Raymondville drainage project. The unfortunate thing is uh, sometimes you have communities, you know, kind of feel like it's taking a long time. Well, what needs to happen is there needs to be the regional approach. What is the plan of action? How is this infrastructure going to take place? And understand and, and sell to the community, you know, this is going to take some time, right? We have to develop it, figure it out, and then kind of work on that project, especially whenever you're trying to do on a regional drainage stuff. And I know, you know, this area, we've been very lucky. There was some flooding this last time we had really bad storms out in the La Feria area, but we haven't had a hurricane. And uh, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. So it's, it's something that we really, really need to look at because these are areas that can be underwater, right? And then the other issue you have with that is TWIA, right? We have to deal with that as well, and that, that may, may come back into play. But I'm all for it. Uh, I think having everybody in this room and understanding that it's a regional approach, because one community, a small community coming up there to the legislature to try to get funding for an infrastructure project, especially having to do with drainage, it, it's, it's very difficult, right? Because it's like, well, there's a lot of communities throughout the state that need funding. But when you have multiple communities coming in and showing the strength in numbers, and then being able as a legislator to go and talk to my colleagues and telling them, look, we have seven communities working together. This project is going to save X amount of property that would be destroyed. You know, these are communities that are not going to be underwater if we make the investment. And, and you have to explain it to them in that manner so that they understand, like, well, if we don't invest in this now, when those areas are underwater and TDEM has to come in, and clean up and deal with all this aftermath along with FEMA, it's going to cost three, fourfold. So that's kind of the way we have to pitch it to them. And it's really the truth. It's just about getting everybody together. But it's very powerful whenever you can have, you know, a letter of support signed by all those respective, you know, mayors and commissioners 
and folks that are involved in drainage, especially when they're rival communities, because it shows, you know, they may be rival communities, but they're all working together on this endeavor because they understand the importance of it. So well, I, I agree with you 100% on that. Go ahead. Um, do you foresee any the optimism? Do you have any optimism uh, working across the aisle to, to combat some of the issues that we have in major shortages? You know, um, Texas is very different than D.C. So I have a, a good friend of mine who served in the legislature, who's now a, a Republican congressman. We went to actually to a college together, and he told me, you know, D.C. is very divisive, right? It's either you're Democrat or Republican, which is very unfortunate. You know, the Texas State House is a little bit different. You know, we've had our times where it can get kind of divisive and folks are both sides of the aisle. But really, the biggest issues are rural versus urban. That's kind of been, been the issues going forward, right? You have the big metropolitan areas that have completely different interests in rural Texas. So that historically has kind of been the, the dividing factor. Um, as for labor shortages, um, I think we're looking at, I sit currently on a commission for the Community College Commission, and we're looking at funding formulas and ways to incentivize, you know, kind of a quick workforce where uh, men and women can get high paying jobs, you know, figuring out how do you work that with high schools as well to get folks certifications so that they can go ahead and join the workforce. You know, we understand, you know, four year institution and a degree is great, but it's not for everyone. And at the same time, we need to make sure that those individuals are marketable and, you know, some of those jobs pay twice as much as someone getting out of a four-year institution. So that's something we're looking at. One of the shortages that we have right now is with nurses. Uh, that's like the biggest thing that we have. So we're trying to figure out a way to fast track. I mean, because at the same time, you want to make sure that those individuals are adequately trained, right? Because they're providing healthcare. So you just can't, you know, give them a, a freebie, but there's maybe any ways where we can kind of try to focus on some of those basics at a secondary level, whether it be like a senior high school level, and then getting them into a fast track program where they're qualified to do what they're doing and then maybe fast track where you can kind of you know go from that LVN route to RN route and kind of get them trained because there is a shortage and and fortunately you know folks are getting older and people are getting ill and, and that's just the workforce that we're going to have to fill up and you're starting to see a lot of nurses retire and uh, it's something that that we're looking at right now and specifically it's been mentioned at the higher levels, that that's something that we want to try to double down on and at least increase the workforce having to do with nurses. No follow up on that. Your answer migrated. No pun intended. Uh, your answer migrated towards the exact area that we are concerned with. I do work in the home health industry. Okay. And it's a small company, and we also have a very drastic shortage in non medical, non skilled assistance mm -hmm. for elder care. Just we, for example, we have a hundred openings right now in San Antonio. Wow. We cannot find somebody to do a job for. And I jump to that because that's one, and you know, even trades like uh, plumbing, carpentry, you know, electrical, you, we, you can't find men and women to take those jobs and they're not qualified and they're high paying jobs. And uh, I mean, I think if, if high school students knew the amount of money that these professions were making, you would have a line, but we're just not doing enough to do that. And then how do you implement a program in place to make sure that those men and women can get into those professions, get their credentials, and then go out and work? So it's something that we're looking at. You know, we've forgotten. I think there was a focus over the last, you know, 20 years to really push that four-year institution, which is good. And I'm talking about the trades. I think that forced us to kind of forget about a lot of the important things because, you know, we're going to need a plumber or you're going to need an electrician. And they're high-paying jobs, and they're going to be in need just the way nurses are. So it's something that we're looking at, and it's been discussed.
by both sides, you know, Democrat and Republican, I think everybody understands it's something that, that we need to work on. I really encourage uh, working across the aisle mm -hmm. and for people to see that. Yes. Like all of us need to see that together. Yeah, of course. We're in this together. Of course. It doesn't matter what political party your affiliation is. You're going to need a plumber. You're going to need a nurse. Right. You're going to need an electrician. Yeah, they, 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 we, we, we don't care about that. I don't think I've ever called a plumber saying, are you a Democrat or Republican? You know, I don't think I've ever asked a nurse, are you a Democrat or Republican, before they give me an IV. <laughs> So, yeah. My question deals with funding for public education, um, K through 12. We have a tremendous teacher shortage, teacher retention, yet the funding is based on student attendance and not student enrollment. Because of the pandemic, we have students who have not come back to school, so the attendance is going to be much lower than the previous sessions. So would you consider a formula dealing with pay based on enrollment versus attendance? Because of the shortage based on attendance, we're not going to get nearly as much funding. So with $27 billion, I think that's something we need to address. Yeah, I agree with you, George. So the issue on the teachers, right, the biggest question, and I'll, and I'll go through all of them. So is the uh, teacher retirement, right? So the retirement system is based a lot with what happens in the market. When we went back in legislative session, I want to say it was 2019, there was a deficiency in funding, but they told us if you put X amount of dollars in, you'll make the fund actuarially sound. And the reason it's important to make the retirement fund actuarially sound is that's the first step to give the COLA, which is a cost of living adjustment, which is what all retired teachers want. So we put the money in, 2019, what happened in 2020? Pandemic. Everything basically went down. So going back into this session, there's going to be money. I'm hopeful that they'll make the account actuarially sound and then maybe give the teachers the cost of living adjustment that they need, right? And that's going to be incredibly important. Now, that's the retired teachers, right? You're saying, well, how does that help us out if they're retired and they're already kind of, you know, playing golf at the golf course and, you know, probably hanging out with, uh, with George, you know, at the country club, right? What are those deals? But the reason it's important is you need to incentivize the profession, right? Because you're not getting, I mean, you're getting good men and women that want to go ahead and work as teachers but they're kind of looking at more as a job, right? Unfortunately, they're not making that much money. So how do you incentivize a profession in order to get the best and brightest, right? When you can go into the private sector and make a lot more money, why would you want to go teach at a public school? Which is very unfortunate. So we have to figure out a way to incentivize it. Now, a couple sessions ago, we went ahead and passed legislation. If teachers hit certain marks, they can make up to a hundred and some thousand dollars. I don't know how effective that's working, but we have to figure out a way on how to pay these individuals more money than they're making now. So there's been discussion about increasing the pay, right? And now with everything that's going on, what you're seeing from the school shootings and, and just having to deal with all that, it's I think it's incredibly important to take care of them there. Now then you go to the funding, right? And you mentioned about the whole, you know, attendance. We understand that the last two years were incredibly awkward, right? I mean, we had a global pandemic. Uh, unfortunately, we lost a lot of students. Uh, students went other routes, some hopefully got their GED, some just didn't come back, and some just got lost, right? So we have to figure out a way to incentivize performance and incentivize enrollment. 
without hurting schools that have lost students, you know, not through their fault. Now, you have public education. Within the public education system, you have charter schools, right? Some are good, some are bad, just the way some public schools are some, and some are bad. Figuring out a way to kind of do a balance to that. I mean, charter schools are public schools, but we got to make sure everybody abides by the same rules and, and giving options to parents. So that'll be an issue. Now, going into that, um, I think vouchers are going to pop up as well. All right. There's been discussion that vouchers will pop up. And for those of you, you know, in a nutshell, to kind of explain vouchers simple, it's basically think of getting a voucher and now you can put your child wherever you want and the voucher is the funding that's tied into the child, right? So if you live in an area with a lot of options, that's great for you, right? Uh, you know, I liken it going to the grocery store with a coupon and you have a big grocery store where you're going to be great. But if you go somewhere and you don't have too many options, then unfortunately it puts you in a really tough predicament. That's where I think, you know, you look at the dynamics of what the state of Texas looks like because a voucher system in principle may, may, may somewhat work. However, I think because the way the system is set up and you have rural areas that wouldn't be able to, uh, to benefit from that possibly and could have, have some type of negative impact, you balance all of that out and you really have to kind of weigh what does education look like and what can't you or can't you do. So I think that'll be a discussion. And you know, as a legislator and as a dad of two little girls, 7, 11, I think you want to give parents options, right? You want them to be able to make the right choice on where to educate their, their, uh, their children. Uh, so we have to provide that, but we have to make sure that you know, whenever you're dealing with state dollars that everybody has a certain standard that everybody abides by that standard and that they're going to get a quality education and just make sure everybody pays by the rules within that, those four parameters. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a, an ongoing debate. I do think that this legislative session, those discussions are going to pop up all over the place. So, thanks, George. Any questions? Last question. Yes, sir. I wouldn't be able to tell you that. <laughs> it's so too early. Ask me that in February. <laughs> well, well, I appreciate everyone coming out here. And uh, if you ever need to get a hold of me, I try to be readily accessible. If I'm not your representative, I'm still your representative. On my way over here, uh, Sue Ann Tauber called me. And I'm sure you guys know Sue Ann. And she tells me, Oscar, you're no longer my rep. I said, Sue Ann, I will always be your rep. So just call me, whatever you need. You know, I'm always there to help out. So thank you very much for coming out here tonight. Thank you. Stay informed about legislative events relevant to South Texas with the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service. I'm Mario Munoz reporting.